Welcome to AJHP Voices, now comprising interviews on contemporary pharmacy issues and discussions with AJHP authors. The service was formerly known as AJHP Podcasts. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP. This is William Zelmer for AJHP Voices, speaking with Dr. Daniel Robinson, Dean and Professor at the College of Pharmacy, Western University of Health Sciences in Pomona, California. Dr. Robinson was one of many pharmacy leaders in California who worked hard for the passage of the new law, Senate Bill 493, which went into effect on January 1, 2014. And this legislation creates a number of new opportunities for pharmacists to provide direct care to patients. Dan, uh, thank you so much for taking time for this interview. Let's begin, uh, if you would please, by giving a brief overview of uh, Senate Bill 493. I'd be happy to. This started as a grassroots effort developing a relationship with our senator, who happens to be the chair of the Senate Health Committee. He was very much already aware that pharmacists were underutilized in the delivery of health care in California. So he was a very nice supporter. And so what we were moving forward with was an opportunity to provide provider status to pharmacists in California to really help meet unmet demand for health care services. Part of the Affordable Care Act, or as part of the Affordable Care Act, we were going to be adding another four to five million covered lives in California. And it was already pretty apparent that we had a shortage of primary care physicians and providers in 16 of the 58 different counties in California. So there was a lot of sensitivity to the fact that uh, we were looking for other providers who could help provide broad-based services to a larger population in need. Well, just briefly, Dan, could you summarize how this law now expands the scope of practice of pharmacists? First and most important thing for us was recognition as providers in the state of California. And the bill allows an expanded scope and authority for all licensed pharmacists. It includes the expanded ability to administer drugs that are prescribed. So this would include injections and other formulations. Uh, do additional review of patient health care records and provide self-administered hormonal contraceptives is a, one of the areas that was covered. Uh, furnish travel medicines to anyone traveling according to the recommendations of the Center for Disease Control. It also allows pharmacists to furnish prescription nicotine replacement products and independently administer immunizations to anybody three years and older, according to the uh, guidelines for the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. So that's for all pharmacists. And then it also created a second category, which is the Advanced Practice Pharmacist, which expands authority just a little bit further. I see. Can you just uh, extend that a uh, uh, touch, Dan, when you say expands uh, scope of practice a bit further, exactly how? Well, with those that are, this this is a separate licensing category, so there, there are qualifications to become an advanced practice pharmacist, but it expands the ability of pharmacists to perform patient assessment, to order and interpret tests related to drug therapy management, mm-hmm. allows pharmacists to refer patients to other healthcare providers, 
and work collaboratively in the management of disease with other healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. So the way I like to think about it is that the advanced practice pharmacist now is sort of a referring healthcare provider. So a physician might refer a patient for management of some form of, of drug therapy, and then the pharmacist can then refer back or refer forward uh, to other healthcare providers. So mm-hmm. it would be like if a physician was referring to a physical therapist for a particular part of healthcare management, uh, now they're referring to the pharmacist who can independently, without, not under protocol, but mm-hmm. independently manage drug therapy. Okay. And to what extent uh, do pharmacists under this provision of the law have sort of independent authority for initiating drug therapy, prescription drug therapy? Well, the entire bill was passed as part of a lot of the Affordable Care Act talks about team-based care, accountable care organizations, medical home models. So everything we were looking at doing uh, really involves team-based care and what's the appropriate role of a pharmacist in team-based delivery of care. So we're not really talking about pharmacists going out, putting a sign and and recruiting patients uh, for management. It'll be part of of a a team and there'll be a handshake with a provider, uh, a prescriber. So we'll be working not under someone, but alongside other healthcare providers. Sure. Well, Dan, I'm curious. I I know uh, you've been active yourself uh, politically within the state of California. Uh, What was your role in getting this legislation passed? Well, we we started back in probably August of 2012 and developed a task force on the provider status legislation working alongside of Senator Ed Hernandez, who was our supporter. So I was on the initial task force and uh, very much involved in writing the law that was to be submitted with others. We had a nice group of people from the California Pharmacists Association, California Society of Health System Pharmacists chain pharmacy representatives, a lot of people were at the table, and we were able to craft legislation that was then introduced in February of 2013, and then finally, through all of the political, there's a lot of advocacy that goes on in moving something like this forward, lunch meetings with um, various constituents of committees, quite a bit of politicking and making sure that you have support on your side as as something like this moves forward. So I was very much involved during the process that, you know, we got it through the Senate and then the Assembly, and finally with the signing uh, by the governor in October of 2013. Very good. Well, it is uh, quite an achievement. Dan, you mentioned earlier some important contacts for uh, this new law in California, including the Federal Affordable Care Act, the shortage of uh, primary care providers. Were there other factors in California that enabled this legislation to move toward adoption? There were actually two companion bills that were moving along with our bill. There was one for nurse practitioners and another one for optometrists. And these were all also sponsored by Senator Hernandez. Our bill was sort of different than the other bills because it was very much how do pharmacists become part of the healthcare team and, and provide healthcare services. 
And so it wasn't so much an expansion of scope. Much of what we were doing were things that had been done in institutional settings in California for a very long time, for example, under institutional protocols. Mm-hmm. Um, what we were looking to do is expand and move those uh, many of those services and activities outside, independent of a facility, for example, and give that authority, put the authority along with the license uh, uh, that the pharmacist holds. The nurse practitioners were v- very much looking for increased independence, and optometry was looking for quite a bit of a, expansion of scope of practice. But we were simply expanding where we could provide uh, services we'd already been providing. Okay. So I sort of infer from what you said that part of the discussion at the legislature level was the fact that many of these facets of advanced pharmacy practice were already going on successfully in the institutional environment. Is that fair to say? That That is fair to say. So we had uh, considerable support from a, a lot of our maintenance organizations, CAPG, which is our California Physicians Group Practice Association. So we, yeah, we did have support based on, you know, probably some very good experience from those that have worked with uh, institutional pharmacists mm-hmm. in the past. Is this legislation expected to have any uh, new impact on hospital health system pharmacy practice? Most of the focus is on practice outside because we didn't change any of the existing laws to change what was already being done in institutional practice. So it doesn't expand a lot, except uh, it does under the license. For example, if you're advanced practice pharmacist, you can do many of these things without protocol. So you're using your professional judgment and management of patients that does, does not require an institutional protocol per se. Although is not to say that institutional protocols will not continue to exist. Right. I guess another thing I'm curious about, Dan, advanced practice provisions in North Carolina, New Mexico, Montana pharmacy laws have gotten a lot of attention uh, in recent years in pharmacy nationally. How does what's happened in California here compare to the advances made in those states? Well, we did study the advanced practice uh, status in uh, in those various states and looked at New Mexico and essentially the prescribing authority that's provided in New Mexico is really working under the supervision of a supervising physician and uh, that physician has to apply to the board of medical examiners in New Mexico in order to be able to for a pharmacist to work with that prescribing authority. And we're also looking at a much broader acceptance, and you know we hope to get many, many more pharmacists involved in providing some of these services. And there hasn't been the uptake possibly in New Mexico that uh, was originally hoped for. Mm-hmm. And then in North Carolina, again, th- that this is the clinical pharmacist practitioner in North Carolina is is really under the direction or supervision of a licensed physician. So they do have expanded authority. Uh, there's a high level of uh, or many qualifications that are necessary to to practice at that level in North Carolina. But again, it's not as independent as uh, what we see is available to pharmacists in California. I see. So I gather from what you just said that it's your view that because of this degree of independent authority, 
that pharmacists now have in California, you are expecting perhaps wider adoption of these more advanced practices by practitioners in your state than we've seen in some other states. Would that be accurate? Well, we're, we're certainly hoping for that. We spent a lot of time and a lot of effort to get this through. And the big challenge for us right now and what we're working on is the implementation phase. And of course, it involves guidance documents that will be for, uh, we'll work with the Board of Pharmacy to prepare. There's a lot of the regulatory language that still needs to be worked out. The provider status was approved and implemented and, and took effect in January of 2014. But there's still a lot of guidance that needs to be provided in terms of travel medicine, self-administered hormonal contraceptives, nicotine replacement products. Um, we, we want to provide additional guidance to pharmacists. Sure. Any projection in terms of when that uh, complete regulatory package will be all set? We're hopeful that by the end of 2014, we can have most of this completed. Mm -hmm. We are working very hard with the Board of Pharmacy. There are additional task force subcommittees that are working on these various components, as well as clarifying what sort of training will be necessary for the advanced practice pharmacists. Currently, it talks about uh, certification, sort of a specialty type of certification that would be acceptable as one of the criteria, but we're looking to develop or partner with somebody in identifying other types of certification that would satisfy the Board of Pharmacy requirements and make sure that the pharmacists have the skill sets that are necessary to sort of work in a primary care environment. Mm -hmm. Well, that's interesting. So for certifications that are required for advanced pharmacy practice status, not only Board of Pharmaceutical Specialty certification, as you're saying, but perhaps other types. Can you give us a, a sense of uh, some examples of these other types that uh, might be developed? Well, one we're exploring right now is actually a Canadian program. It's called ADAPT, and it's a, an excellent program that's been developed, and it's been in place for uh, three or four years now. And they've trained you know, over probably over 600 pharmacists through the ADAPT program. And it's a 20-week program that is mostly an online program it has facilitators working with a group of, you know, 10 to 12 pharmacists, and it goes through seven different modules. And someone can do this while they're working. So we, we really like that concept because the place where we hope to see the biggest impact is in community pharmacies. We want to find a way to get community pharmacists qualified as advanced practice pharmacists because that's where we have access. Uh, to our largest number of patients. Dan, uh, is there anything you can say at this stage about uh, what impact this legislation will have on payment for pharmacist patient care services? Well, pharmacists can be paid for services. Uh, some private insurers are already paying for some of the disease state management services, uh, MTM services that are being provided. But we want to make sure that, you know, as providers, we now can be seen as an asset to the patient-centered medical home model of healthcare delivery or for accountable care organizations. In, in the past, taking on a pharmacist in one of these practice settings has been sort of a challenge because you couldn't bill independently necessarily for those services. But since many payments are going to be bundled payments to ACOs, accountable care organizations, or medical homes, pharmacists certainly can benefit and be 
be a provider and you know generate revenue within that model. And we're also working with state Medicaid authorities in order to uh, see if we can get them on board and start to see payment for services in this area. Well, I think it's quite clear that Senate Bill 493 is a major step forward for pharmacy in California. I'm curious, Dan, what is your own vision for the future of pharmacy practice in your state? If you would look ahead uh, 10 years or so, uh, how would things be different, do you believe, than they are today? What I see for the future in California is that we will start to see changes in pharmacy education so that our graduate, we're very confident in the quality of our graduates right now, but we want to make sure that our graduates are moving into an environment where they can utilize the full scope of their training. And I think in California, we're going to come very close to being able to do that. So we are uh, modifying our curriculum right now to make sure that a lot of the requirements that will you know, allow people to work within advanced practice settings, that our, our students, our graduates are ready to move right into that setting. And the key is we want to see healthcare services being provided in all settings and make sure that uh, pharmacists are practicing at the full scope of their license. Mm-hmm. And I think the patients and other healthcare providers and the entire healthcare system in California will benefit from that. Well, it's a very important comment linking pharmacy education to uh, this new scope of practice. Then, um, what advice would you have for other states that might be considering, you know, expanding the scope of pharmacist practice, moving toward provider status, based on your experience in California? We hope that there's going to be transferability, that we don't want to do something that is going to be uniquely a a California initiative. We'd love to see this spread. Of course, like to see provider status come at us from the other angle at at a national level, increase scope of practice and authority nationally. We're doing our best in California to make sure that we do something that is going to be um, evaluated, it's going to be reproducible. It's going to be something that um, others would be uh, able to adopt. And I really have to stress that, you know, working through the political system, determining who your allies are, working closely with them. We are now, as an association, as pharmacists in California, we are um, noticed by other health professions, and they're asking for our support for their initiatives. So, it's very important to be a player and be part of the political process in order to um, move the agendas forward. Well, that's that's very sound advice. Congratulations to you and your colleagues in the state of California on this uh, advancement. And uh, thank you so much for taking time to discuss on AJHB Voices uh, your perspectives, uh, some background information on this new law. I know listeners will be quite interested. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Bill, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. That concludes this interview. For more information about AJHP, please visit www.ajhp.org.